Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just want to ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen, and we pray that you are blessed. Hey, Relove, happy Thanksgiving. I hope you enjoyed your time with family. Perhaps you leaned in a little closer to those who were at your dinner table. I know Thanksgiving for me is my favorite time of the year. I love the food. I love the fellowship. I love the comfort food that comes with it. I hope you enjoyed Thanksgiving as well as I did. What I want to know is, what do you make with your leftover turkey? What do you make with it? Like turkey fritters, turkey a la king, turkey sandwiches. Type it in the chat. I want to know. I want to read through to see what you make with your Thanksgiving dinner. When I lived in Samoa, we made turkey in an umu, which is an outdoor underground oven. We would wrap it up in banana leaves and cover it with, season it first, wrap it with banana leaves, cover it volcanic rock, and then you just wait a couple hours and all the steam would come up, and then you would kind of open up that umu. It was the best turkey ever. So I hope you enjoyed your turkey as well. Did I mention the men do all the cooking in Samoa? Yes, they do. Yes. I also hope you have money in your pocket after Black Friday shopping. I do not want to look at all my receipts after this week. And so I am closing out our Thanks for Nothing series. For the past couple of weeks, we have been talking about Thanks for Nothing. And it it relates to what this year has been about. I typed thanks for nothing in the Google chat, in the Google bar, and this is what came up. Cambridge Dictionary says thanks for nothing is an expression of annoyance, perhaps disappointment that things did not turn out the way it was supposed to. The Urban Dictionary says it is a sarcastic expression of frustration or displeasure at someone or something who has not provided what was wanted. I mean, let's be honest, this year has been a lot of thanks for nothing experiences. I mean, it, we, it, we had to make a lot of adjustments for this year, but I don't want to dwell too much on it. We just going to go to the word and see what it is that God has in store for us today. I am going to be reading in your hearing from John 4. Follow me. It's a lot of verses, but I want you to catch the meat of this story. It is so, so good. So stay with me. John 4 verses 3 through 30. So he left Judea and would return to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. 
He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman's surprise for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope, you don't have a bucket, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again. And I won't have to keep coming back here to get water. Jesus says, go get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman said. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth, sir, the woman said. You must be a prophet. Tell me, why is it that Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming indeed. It's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for those who will worship him that way. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming and when he gets here, he'll explain everything to me. Then Jesus said, I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask him, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her jar. The woman left her jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. I've titled today sermon he had to go through. He had to go through. Let us pray. Father God, like the woman at the well, we too are seeking, needing this living water. We thank you for being a God who meets us where we are, who looks at our needs and not our faults. Oh Lord, go before me. This is a tough word to preach. Make what is crooked straight. May we see you and may those who are in tune with the word today see you. We thank you. We love you. Amen. Amen. 
he had to go through. Growing up, I was the tallest girl in every class. I mean, it became annoying to me going to kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. You walked in, I was always the tallest girl in every class, taller than every boy, and that just became annoying for me. I was given nicknames because being the tallest girl came with some tall names. I was called Olive Oil, which was Popeye's wife. Um, do y'all, you guys watch Popeye? Popeye the Sailor Man. I was called Jolly Green Giant because I had these slender long legs. I was called Toothpick. I was called Peacock because I had bright, you know, bright clothes. I love color. And sometimes my hair would stand up. I was very chatty, so they gave me that name. I was raised vegetarian, so I was also known as the girl who had avocado sandwiches because we had an avocado tree. I had grilled cheese sandwiches made from that government cheese, you know, that free big block cheese, man, that was the best. If you know what I'm talking about, type grilled cheese in the chat box. My mom would make the best grilled cheese from that government cheese. It was so good. And in high school, I was known as, because my daddy taught, he was an ROTC instructor at the same high school I went to, I was known as Sergeant T's daughter. I mean, this was not a name of recognition. This was a name to stay away from her. I mean, guys can sit with me. They couldn't talk to me. They couldn't even look at me. Growing up in my family, I was given the title, the black sheep of the family. And I lived up to that title. Yes, I did. My siblings would always tell me that I was adopted because I was found in an alley at two years old with just pajamas on. That's why I was different. And I believe that. Like, Rarely did I hear my name called. Uh, when I read through this story of John 4, the woman discussed in here, she, wasn't a, she didn't have a name either. She was addressed by what she did. She was known as the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, a woman with a reputation, a woman who had baggage, a woman who was ostracized, a woman who too, she was probably the black sheep of her family, subject of everyone's household. She was known for who she dated, who she married. I'm just going to call her Auntie Sam. Yes, I'm going to call her Auntie Sam because there's something about her story that resonates with me. I see myself in in her. Auntie Sam, if I could give you a little background, Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. They were, the, the hate ran deep. The Jews were just proud of their pure blood genealogy, and Samaritans were like the stepchildren to that Jewish blood. I mean, they just did not like them. And Auntie Sam, well, she was a woman. She was a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman who was looked down by her own race. She wasn't even wanted by her own race. She grew up in a society that looked at her differently, treated her differently. She was ostracized, marked as immoral, marked as a woman who was shacking up with someone who didn't want to give her his name. Did not. So imagine that. But she had, I want you to listen to this part. She had one thing everybody wanted, everyone desired, everyone craved. She had an encounter with Jesus. Yes. She had an encounter with Jesus, something that everyone wanted. People pursued Jesus. They wanted to find him. But no, Jesus found her. I say the word pursue because... 
Jesus pursued this woman because he had to go through Samaria. He had to go. I mean, Jesus, if you think about it, Jesus didn't have to do nothing. Jesus had people. He had an entourage. He could have sent the disciples and told them to go through Samaria and meet this woman at the well. He could have texted her. He could have emailed her. Hey, Auntie Sam, how are you? Thinking of you, praying for you. Perhaps he could have waited till the next fall season to see her or waited till church was back in session. No, he had to go through Samaria. He had to do what other people were scared to do. He had to be where no Jew wanted to be. He had to go through Samaria. He had to. He wasn't scared that someone would take his picture and and posted on social media. He wasn't scared that they'd tweet about him and say, Jesus sighting. No, Jesus didn't care. He had to be there. He wasn't scared that he would lose his job. He wasn't scared of this coronavirus. He had to go through. He had his mind made up. Nothing was going to keep him from going. This trip was an intentional trip. It was a missional trip. It was an ordained trip. He had to go through. You know, I think about myself and things of, you know, there are a lot of things in life that, you know, the schedule is just so busy. busy. I just don't have time to do things that are on my list and sometimes I push them back but there was this one day something I had to do there was this one day where I was so crazy in my schedule and there was this name that just kept popping into my head I'm like why am I thinking of this guy all day he just kept popping in my head popping in my head and I just kept pushing it back later in the evening I'm like you know what I'm just gonna call him let me let me just check on him and we were in Japan at this time I called him it was just a simple conversation to see how he was doing. Hey, how are you? It was a brief discussion, two to three minutes. That's it. Hung up the phone. I don't know what that was about, but I was just impressed to make this phone call. The next day, he came to my house and he said, had it not been for that phone call, he was ready to take his life in that moment. But then I called and he hesitated whether he should pick up the phone or not. Doing something that you just didn't feel like doing, but you had to, leads to that kind of moment. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria for this, for Auntie Sam. So yes, back then, I'm going to just give you a little backstory. Back then, when the women drew water in the wee hours of the morning, it was the high point of every woman's day. They would just get dressed up. This, the well, was a place where they hung out at. They would get dressed up, talk about, I don't know, their husbands, their children, perhaps exchange recipes, talk about life. The well is like Starbucks. The well is life groups. The well is 6 a.m. prayer line where you just talk about what has been going on, what you want people to pray for over your life. The well is the lunchroom. It is your gym. It is the park. The well is like the meeting in the ladies' room when you get in the ladies' room with all these girls and you guys are just talking. That was the well. Every woman looked forward to going to the well because they just talked. They loved gathering together in a community. But Auntie Sam was not about that life. She was not about that a.m. morning life. She walked to the well at noon. She walked to the well at noon, which was the hottest part of the day, the time of day where everyone has gone home. And she sees from afar this gentleman hanging out by the well. I'm, I'm imagining that she probably likes her 
quiet time at the well. She don't want, she don't want nobody there. But she's a little annoyed that she sees this man, let alone, let alone a Jewish man, sitting by the well. She walks to the well. And she's caught off guard a little bit because this man sitting by the well, well, she just wasn't in the mood to talk to him. People talked about her, so she just avoided people. I mean, she just avoided every person that came within her vision. To be honest, people just got on her nerves, even church folks. Church folks got on her nerves too. She avoided people like Jesus because she just didn't want to hear the giggling, the smirking, the gossiping. So she avoided people people all together. What she didn't know was this man was different. This was Jesus. He's the kind of man that meets you where you are. She didn't know he was that kind of man. He's the kind of man that meets you in your turf, in the middle of your mess. When the, the day is at its hottest, that's when he goes. He goes and meets you. He, he meets you in the middle of your loss, in the middle of your tragedy, in the middle of your disruption, in the middle of all this abuse and rejection. Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. He doesn't sit on his throne. He says, when you get it together, hit me up on my DM. I'll be there. No, that's not the kind of God we serve. He doesn't sit up in his palace and waits for you to come up to him. No, Jesus comes down to her level, comes down to her level. He comes in the midday where the heat is hot. I mean, this woman was a hot mess. Nobody wanted to be seen with her. But that didn't scare Jesus. In fact, it drew him closer to her because of her mess. Romans 5 verse 20 says, when sin abounds, Grace abounds more. The amplified, amplified version says where sin increased and abounded, grace surpassed it and increased the more and superabounded. The message Bible says where it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. The living Bible says the more we see our sinfulness, the more we see God's abounding grace forgiving us. The ER version says where sin increased, God's kindness increased even more. So matter, no, no matter what your mess looked like, his grace outweighed the mess. Wow. Wow. Can you type hallelujah in the chat? I mean, that is a big deal. What a God, what a savior he had to go through. Auntie Sam approaches the well. I don't want you to miss the rest of the story. It's going to get deep. Auntie Sam approaches the well with caution and Jesus says, will you give me a drink? It sounds like a simple command, but you got to stay with me. Of all the things to say, I'm thinking, okay, if I was Auntie Sam, I would think that's a pickup line. You know, like, give me a drink. Of all the things you can say to me, give me a drink. I, Jews looked at Samaritans as unclean people. So anything she touched was unclean. So it meant, like, you want a drink from my cup, too? You asking me to get you a drink and you want a drink from my cup? The hate was deep. Auntie Sam says, I am a Jew. You are a Samaritan. How are you going to ask me for a drink? You know I have a rap sheet, Jesus. Do you know? Her rap sheet didn't scare him. In fact, he came for her rap sheet. He came for all of that. He came for her shame. He came for her loss. He came for her rejection. He came for her imperfection. Everything that she carried in that jar, he came specifically for that. She was caught up with herself. 
I came because of this injustice and this racism you've been going through. I came specifically for that. Don't get it twisted, boo-boo, he says. John 10, verse 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So yes, can you give me a drink? Imagine that, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, tearing down walls, years, centuries of racism and sexism. Jesus was simply telling her, I am willing to drink out of the same vessel as you, not because you are unclean, because I see that you are worthy. You are worthy. Jesus wasn't there to remind her of her mess. I mean, you know, we do that, a good job of that ourselves every day. We remind ourselves of our mess. Jesus wasn't there for that. He just simply wanted to exchange this gift of living water. That's it. This, etern this, this water, this jar that had eternal life that he had in his hand. He said, give me that jar. I'm just going to give you eternal life. <sighs> that jar weighed her down. This jar that she carried to the well every day was filled with stuff. I had to get in her head. I had to get in her head. And what could possibly be in that jar? She faced rejection, abandonment, unloving relationships, betrayal. I mean, back then, you got to understand, women could, not women could not divorce their husbands. Only husbands can divorce their woman, their wife. And it could be something as silly as if she didn't know how to cook, if she didn't know how to iron his clothes, if she talked back to his mama, he could divorce her. So imagine her being dumped five times from five different men, being divorced from them. It does something to you. She had a lot of insecurity. She had a lot of loss. She had a lot of grief, a lot of pain. She was so used to carrying that jar around. She was living her best quarantine life with that jar. She didn't need nobody else. That jar knew all about her. He knew all about the people pleasing, the weight gain, the weight loss. Come on, somebody. That jar knew about the restless moments in her life. It knew about the unpaid mortgage, the eviction, the medical report. It knew every tear that was cried on her pillow. It knew every pain, every sorrow, the weight of caring for her family. It knew that she had to do whatever she had to do to make ends meet. The empty cupboards in her home. That jar knew about the arguments she even had with her parents, her family. This jar was her bestie, her BFF. She simply did not see herself apart from this jar, going through the motions. Maybe this is you. You go through the motions every day. You wake up, you go to work, make money, pay the bills, repeat, restless. You're just depleted by your routine, driven by your agenda, yet you don't even realize you've driven God out of your schedule too. I have to admit something. I'm addicted to something. I'm addicted to perfection. I am addicted to being the perfect spouse, being the perfect mom, having the perfect family, being the perfect cook. It's very exhausting trying to be perfect. It's exhausting. It's a weight that God didn't intend for us to carry. The burden to be perfect, it's too much weight. God is like, there is only one perfect person, boo-boo, and that is me. I had to surrender that. 
I had to retrain my brain to be okay with imperfections. Auntie Sam wasn't used to that. She was used to her imperfections. She learned how to live with her imperfections. Jesus wanted her to know there's more to life than just that jar. He said it in scripture, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who I am, you would ask me and I would give you living water. She chuckles. She is chuckling. She's laughing. At least I would. She's like, I don't know, Jesus, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't be asking me for water. Besides, you have no rope. You have no bucket. How can you give me water? Jesus says, this water makes you thirsty, but the water I give takes away the thirst. It gives them a perpetual spring within them, giving them internal life. In this moment, she's all in. She is begging. She is pleading. Give me some of this water so I can stop coming to this well. Give me some of this water because this well just knows too much about me. This jar is too heavy. I have to walk to and fro. Give me some of this water because I'm tired of five different beds, five different rejections, five men who said I will, but they didn't. I'm tired, Lord. I've had to go through five thanks for nothing experiences just to be working on number six. So, yeah, give me some of this water. <sighs> tired of working, tired of looking for a job. She was just tired. And then I'm thinking in that space, I'm like, why didn't you come early, Lord? What took you so long? Why did I have to go through five husbands going on the sixth one? Thanks for nothing experiences for you to show up. Why didn't you come after the first one? After husband number one, where have you been? The great thing about Jesus is that he can take it when you're mad at him. He can take it. Be mad and angry. I'm assuming that she just babbled on. Where have you been? Through all the heartaches and the loneliness I have been, where have you been? I've gone through the losses, the racism, the sexism. Where have you been? Thanks for nothing. Thanks for nothing. Romans 8 verse 20 says, I am with you always, even into the end of the world. Joshua 1 verse 9 says, be strong and courageous for the Lord God is with you wherever you go. Isaiah 41 verse 10, God says, fear not for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Zephaniah 317 says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you know what? God was always there. He is present. He is with you through all of that. In fact, God is for you. He is for you. He's been there the whole time. He's been there the whole time. The beautiful thing about Jesus is that he is a gentleman. He doesn't barge in where he is not invited. He knocks before he comes in. Revelation 3 verse 20 says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. They with me. If you are a Laker fan, you know that Coach Phil Jackson, sometimes his coaching skills get on my nerves. Like he is notorious for watching the Laker team just figure it out on the court. Uh, we could be up by 10 and in three minutes we could be down by 10 and the Zen master sitting there chilling with his legs crossed, just letting them figure it out. I'm screaming at the TV, call a timeout. 
What are you doing? We're losing. Come on, Coach Phil. No. Coach Phil is calm. He's calm, cool, and collective because he knows that they can work through it. He believes that they can work through it. Jesus knows that with him. You can work through it too. Philippians 4 verse 13 says, I can do all things, not a few, not a little. He says, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. Isaiah 43 verse 2, when you go through deep waters in great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you for I am the Lord your God. Auntie Sam puts her jar down. She's like, what is he talking about? She leans into Jesus. She's like, give me some of this water. Give me some of this water. What does that mean? That means there's a baptism. I'm thinking, Pastor Seth, call all the elders. This is altar call. We're about to have a baptism today. Stephen, get your media team together. Fill the baptismal tank. Janet, go to Costco and get some snacks. We're about to have a Holy Ghost party in here. Let's lay hands on her. She's ready. She's ready. Let's go. Right? Sounds simple. Mm-mm. And Jesus says, go get your husband. How did we go from go get a drink to go get your husband? She's thinking, ask me anything but that. But why, why go get my husband? Jesus wanted her to be clear about this thing. He wanted to be clear about her receiving this water. Very clear about it. Before you can receive this living water, you got to give me what doesn't work. Before you can take anything from my hand, you have to give me what is not satisfying you. Like you have to give me what is making you so thirsty that you keep coming back here to the well. Give me what doesn't work and I'll give you what will. Auntie Sam. Now you got to excuse me. I, I, I like transform into her body. That's why I talk like this. Auntie Sam is like, oh, you ain't ready, Jesus. You ain't ready to hear what I have to say. I don't have a husband. Jesus is like, you're right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you have had five. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. I said what I said. Auntie Sam was like, okay, I wasn't trying to say all that, but okay, I hear you. Auntie Sam quickly changes the subject. He addresses the sin. She changes the subject. She wants to talk religion. Oh, so you're a prophet. Oh, oh, I get it. I get it. So what do you think about this pandemic, Jesus? What do you think about women in ministry? What do you think about the president of the United States? I mean, with all of this going on, I want to hear your thoughts. Jesus is like, stop it. Stop it. Right now, I am concerned about your heart. That's it. That's all that matters to me right now. Your heart. I'm like Auntie Sam. When Jesus wants to address my issues, I change the subject. It's like hearing the pastor preach in the, in the church. I'll be amen all over the place when he's talking about my husband or other people. But when he talks about me, I am as quiet as a mouse. You won't hear me say nothing. Verse 25, when the Messiah who is called Christ comes, this is her. She hears all of this and she tells Jesus, when the Messiah who is called Christ comes, he'll explain it all to me. 
Then Jesus says the most powerful sentence in this conversation. He's like, I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. Then she realizes what has just happened. She's standing in the presence of the Messiah. The king of king, the Lord of Lord, the wisest preacher of all. She finally gets who he is. She runs. She takes off. She is so excited. She forgets her jar. She's so excited. She forgets her jar. That's what Jesus will do. When you meet him, you forget all of the stuff you were carrying. She goes out into the city. She runs to the village and she tells everyone, come and see the man who knows everything about me and he still loves me. Come and see the man who knows everything about me and he still affirms me. Come and see the man that has told me everything. All the things y'all gossiping about, he already knew and yet he still wants me. I'm imagining Auntie Sam, if I can be honest, she did one or two things. She went to the man she was shacking up with and she either married him or she kicked him out because she was like, boo-boo, I found a man who knows everything about me and he still loves me. So yeah, all that stuff you got to say about me, we either got to get married or you got to bounce. I'm thinking this man did one or two things either. He either got mad or got married to her because he probably thought that there was no man that would want her. He probably reminded her of her past. He probably kept telling her over and over, ain't nobody want you after five men, reminding her of all the things that made her compile all of these things in her jar. And that's what the devil will do to you. He will remind you of all the things in your past, the things that you have buried, so you would remember them. If he keeps telling you that, remind him where he's going. It's not, it's not bright. He doesn't have a bright future. We all have a jar. This man had a jar too. He just didn't want to talk about it. What's in your jar? <sighs> Jesus had a jar too. He talked about it in Matthew 26. It was filled with his painful betrayal. His jar was filled with anguish. His jar was filled with distress. It was filled with the arrest, the torture, the crucifixion that happened to him. Matthew 26, verse 39, it says, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will, not mine. Verse 42, if this cup cannot be taken away until I drink it, your will be done. Jesus knew the outcome of drinking this cup. He just needed the strength to go through it, to go through. He had to go through Samaria to reach Auntie Sam. He had to go through Gethsemane to get to Calvary to reach you and me. He had to. He had to go through the rejection, the torture, the cross. Jesus had to, to get to you and me. What a God. What a Savior. He had to go through. If you didn't get anything from this sermon, I want you to get this. There were four things Auntie Sam did to turn her thanks for nothing experiences into joy. Four things. Point number one, she maximized her alone time with God. Number two, she was thirsty for God. Thirsty. Number three, she was honest with God. And number four, she surrendered to God. She 
she surrendered. For the first time in a long time, she no longer felt the weight of that jar. She stood a little taller, her shoulders back, her head was lifted. Why? Because she finally knew who she was in Christ. She was free. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17 says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I have this uh, jar right here. I think it's about 15 years old. And I created this jar for my kids and I dug it out when I was cleaning out my garage and I seen it I said, oh my goodness, this, this jar says jar of complaint. And there was a season where my kids just kept complaining about everything. So I said, I'm gonna create a jar. Title it, and every time they complain, they're going to have to put some money in here. Well, this jar became so heavy that I had to have something to counter that. And so I said, for every compliment or every good thing, well, you can get that quarterback. Soon, it became so repetitive and natural for them to compliment, to do good things, to say good things, that the money became easy to come out. They weren't depositing. They were taking it back out. And this jar of complaint reminds me that, you know, why would I have something like this? Why? It was just a reminder of the things that were inside here, why they were complaining about it. It worked, though. And let me tell you, I have a jar, too. And this jar, I've been carrying around for four years. It's heavy. I've had this jar since the passing of my sister. And this jar, it just made my shoulders kind of uneasy. It made my demeanor uneasy to be around. Uh, what was inside my jar? It was called guilt. I had guilt inside my jar. And although it was one thing, I carried that jar everywhere. I mean, my sister was my best friend and she passed away four years ago from cancer. And we lived about an hour away from her. And I remember when she told me that she had one year left to live and I wanted to maximize all those months with her. But it was hard because I lived an hour away. My husband was deployed, being a mother, the demands of the household. So I only could come when I could see her, you know, on weekends, when it was convenient. And uh, she soon became hospitalized. And when she was hospitalized, it was on that same weekend that we had our house on the market in Temecula. We were selling our house. We were going to move to L.A. I would be closer to her. I would be able to take her to appointments, sleep with her, just have BFF time together. But that weekend came, and the weekend that we sold our house was also the weekend she passed away. And the guilt just came flooding in from everywhere. The guilt just overwhelmed me. It just made me so mad and so angry. I mean, it was the guilt of, I, I should have been there more. I, I should have loved her more. If only I had done more of this. I mean, guilt can be so heavy to carry. We were not made to carry that guilt. I mean, it drew, drove me to the ground that, that missing her just became that much more harder. It became hard to be in ministry. It became hard to be around people. You know, that guilt, God was like saying, you need to surrender that jar. 
I didn't create you to carry that. Surrender that jar to me. Auntie Sam's story reminds me of that because I am now in a space, in a house, where every day I drive to the church or every time I drive to the church, I have to drive by the hospital my sister was in. That's the same hospital my daughter works in that she had chemo in. I mean, there's reminders of her everywhere. And those reminders were so hard to drive by, but Jesus altogether keeps saying, give it to me. I can do more with it than you can. Just surrender it to me. Auntie Sam surrenders her jar to Jesus and she follows him. Because when we follow him, he equips us to find others to follow him. See, when Auntie Sam went to town and she started telling everybody, come and see the man who knows everything about me and he still loves me, guess what? She brought others to come and follow him too. She brought everyone. They all wanted to know, what is she talking about? Because they knew her story. They knew her testimony, what she was about. They wanted to see who this man was that still affirmed her, still wanted her, still loved her. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And there's nowhere in this world you would want to be without him. You know, we are going to be having a baptism next month. To celebrate next month, uh, we are going to have a baptism. And um, if you want to give your life to Christ, I want you to sign a connect card on our relove.church. Perhaps you have something that you want to be thankful for. You fill out that card of thanks for nothing link. I want to hear from you. I want to hear about your story. Perhaps you haven't shared your story. Perhaps you want to share that you have something in your jar and you just find it hard to release it. Well, guess what? Jesus wants to take hold of that jar. Some people say, well, the the, the, the struggle is real. No, no, Jesus came for the struggle. It's the surrender that we have a hard time with. It's the surrender. So go on to our link, relove.church. Click on thanks for nothing. Sign that connect card. I will personally get in contact with you. I want to hear from you. If you are willing to give your life to Christ, we want to help you and guide you in that direction as well. There's no better place you would rather be than to be in his will. God bless you. I love you. But guess what? Jesus loves you best. Let me pray for you. Father God, I'm so grateful for the story that has been presented here today. Wow, that reminder of surrender, of having that time with you, um, and how much you just always want to meet us where we are, Lord. Uh, we thank you for the gospel and your word, and every ear that has tuned into your word, Lord, we thank you for them as well. I pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, that it would be poured into the people who have been in tune with this word, that they too would want to commit their life to you. We thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen. Amen.